Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. If you want to progress in the spiritual life, then sooner or later, you have to get comfortable in secret prayer, communion, and fellowship with Almighty God. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us the Pater Noster, which is just Latin for the Our Father. You may recall the disciples asked the Lord, teach us how to commune with God. Teach us how to interact with the Father. Teach us how to pray. And the very first thing that Jesus said was to be unlike the other religious people who stand on the street corners, hoping to be seen of men and hoping to be heard for all of their babbling. Jesus said, no, the kingdom people steal away. They come into the secret place almost as though they cocoon up with God. And there they pour out their heart to God. And in 50 or less words, Jesus teaches his disciples to commune with God. I find it really amazing that Almighty God, as eternal and vast and powerful as he is, requires 50 or less words from me to have a proper prayer life with him. It blows my mind that I can actually come through such a simple prayer and connect with the Ancient of Days, the exalted, enthroned, eternal, everlasting, almighty God. This is just really amazing for me. Within Christianity, much has already been said regarding the Paternoster, and there's not much more I can add to what has already been spoken and written regarding this prayer. But today I just want to draw out one thing from this secret prayer that Jesus teaches us. And it's simply this. You will notice very subtly sitting under the text of this prayer, there is something of God that is to be gained through this prayer. There is also something of me that is to lose, to diminish through this prayer. And certainly there is something of Satan that has to be diminished. This prayer, this pater noster in the Latin tongue, is is not just a kind of a nursery rhyme, a, a little poetry that we rehearse to God. It's really a prayer of transactional interaction with God, where in the secret place, I'm really asking that God would gain that his will would increase, his kingdom would prevail, and that myself and the satanic would dissipate. This really is a prayer where we cannot come out of the prayer closet the same. Either God has gained, Satan has lost, or what have we done? Come with me to Matthew 6, and let's look at this beautiful, simple prayer and how it can actually if it is appropriated correctly, 
it can actually cause a shift in the heavens and upon this earth. Come and it's with fresh eyes. Look at the Pater Noster. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. The Lord is teaching on prayer, how it should be in the secret place. And that's why, in a way, I wanted to build each bunk bed here at Legacy into a little cocoon. That was entirely my idea. Um, I imagined what I would want if I was in my 20s and single and living with a bunch of ogres. I thought, surely a cocoon. We got to do something with a cocoon. So uh, I built those bunk beds for you. Each one is custom built into the, into the room as they are. And um, I did it with a certain way of height and all sorts of stuff. I pre-planned the houses with electrical plugs. And so you have a little lamp because I knew I was going to put a shelf in there. We're going to cocoon you up. Now listen, in that cocooning, it's where metamorphosis takes place. That's why I believe if you really want to be spiritual at times, learn to sleep. If you want to be transformed, there's a difference between spiritual sleeping and human laziness. The Holy Ghost will have to reveal to you which one you're in. But there is a time, I think, to be active, to be warring, to go to war, there's a time to war and war and war. And I do believe in God. There's also a time sometimes you just need to go sleep. You cannot change the situation. You can't change that king's heart. You can't change this environment or that person's perspective. Perhaps you need to go on a little bit of a Sabbath. You need to take a spiritual chill pill and climb into your cocoon and you'll notice perhaps you come out of the cocoon transformed and the world just goes on. But then again, your world has changed. And as the kingdom of God has become real to you, wherever you go, you will affect your world. So the Lord is basically saying, don't just live out on the street with your spirituality. Sometimes climb into your closet and he talks about shutting the door. Sometimes I, I tell you guys, I drop these little hints. Just go to bed and draw the curtain and put your phone on your ears, whatever you do to float your boat. But just I'm, I'm encouraging you all to the secret place and you need to cultivate that habit. There's a time to stay up and there's a time to just sleep. There's a time to be out and about and there's a time to just retreat, uh, withdraw and retreat. So the Lord's hinting at these kinds of things. So while we're on the topic of prayer, he says in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble a bunch of empty words as do the Gentiles. Um, I, I believe he's referring to the Gentiles here, particularly to the Greeks. I don't want to be hard on the Greeks. But philosophy was spawned from the Greek culture. And what is philosophy? Philosophy is the words and concepts of man trying to, you know get a handle on the mysteries of life. 
So the Greeks were worshippers, of course, of a multiplicity of gods. And for the Greeks, everything was through philosophy, clever speech, clever prayers, etc., etc. And he says, no, my kingdom people are going to be people that are probably a lot like Moses. <laughs> they just don't speak a lot. They stutter, uh, uh, like a holy stuttering. The real spiritual man, the real kingdom man, may not have it together in speech, but his character will be transformed. And his character, the way that he lives, will be the letter that others read. Keep your finger there and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Keep your finger in Matthew 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Look at this marvelous little gem. Thank you, Paul, for writing this for us. He says, for the kingdom of God is not in speech. It's not an issue of vocabulary and articulation. It's not an issue of philosophy and explanation. The kingdom of God is an issue of power. And in a way, Jesus here in Matthew 6 says, hey, the kingdom people, they're not going to be just a people with, with lots of words. There's something different going to go on with the kingdom people. In verse 7, Jesus says in Matthew 6, they suppose that in the multiplicity of their words, they will be heard. In verse 8, he says, therefore, do not be like them. So, we get a little bit of instruction from Jesus here. Your prayer life ought to have few words in it. How's that going for you and I nowadays? <laughs> We're about as nervous before God as a cat is before a bowl of water. A chameleon in a box of M&Ms. We're just like, oh, oh, God, uh, help. Oh, oh, Jesus. And it's, it's almost like the Lord says, hey, take a chill pill. God knows that you need all of these things. You don't have to just word vomit God. Ha! It's almost as though he says silence is golden. Can you all follow what I'm saying? It's almost as though when you sleep, it could be at times a spiritual demonstration of trust. It's almost as though quietness at times could be a spiritual demonstration of trust. It is... Almost as though not being anxious about tomorrow and, 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 and exhibiting a, a relaxedness. It's almost as though that relaxedness, that quietness, that cocooning up in the secret place, it's almost as though that is the trust in God. And of course, there's this time to speak out. Come on, people. There's this time to explain. Come on, people. There's this time to be powerful. Come on. There's a time and place for every purpose. But I want to submit to you, sometimes you may just have to cocoon up and sh sh shush up. You understand what I'm saying? And I think that's what the Lord is teaching us regarding the kingdom people. So in verse 8, he says, do not be like them. In other words, your prayer life should look different. Your spiritual life should look different. Your father knows that you have need of these things even before you ask him. 
And then in verse 9, he actually teaches us to pray. And this has been pretty much the Christian staple for the past 2,000 years. But I want you to notice how simple this prayer is. We can dissect it like a frog into numerous kind of little compartments, and I'll just give you a taste of that. But I want to hint at something else that's going on in here. But just, would somebody, as I even read it, would somebody just count the words for me? Just even count literally the words as we have it in the English Bible. So he says, when you pray, do it as follows. Our Father who is in the heavens, your name is holy. Your Bible may say hallowed or sanctified. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. As it is in the heavens, so also on this earth. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. He doesn't even say please there, but okay. You may probably put in please. It's just good manners before God. Come on, people. Verse 12, forgive us our debts our trespasses, our offenses, our sins, as we also forgive our debtors, those who have trespassed against us. And then there's this little add-on, verse 13. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, how many words do we have there? For less than 50. So let's say, let's give us a little bit of leeway, and let's just say, depending on what translation, uh, this is the Lord Jesus' instruction to you and I to pray with in and around 50 words. How was your last private intercessory prayer session before God regarding words? Was it a word vomit session born out of stress and anxiety? Or was it just a confidence? Lord, you've got this. I trust you. Amen. I marvel that this complex God we serve. And this weekend, I meditated the universe again. I often, I uh, love astronomy. Not to be confused with astrology. I love astronomy. And every now and again, I just would like the answer as to why the universe is this big. So even this weekend, I'm just contemplating again, why is the universe so big? I mean, seriously, if God had just created our star with Jupiter and a couple of planets, I think I would have gotten the idea God is big. But I mean, to go on with billions and billions and billions of incalculable infinite galaxies, and each galaxy have billions and billions of stars and just, I mean, like, hello. Have you ever contemplated the universe and how complex and how big it is? I would expect from such a complex God a, a little bit more of a complex prayer. Can you all follow with me? I mean, just hello, God. You kinda are, you're holding back on us here. 
Or could it be that complexity is merely for the mind of man, but God in simplicity is for the spirit of man? Could it be that your spirit is utter simplicity before God? Where just love flows and appreciation and faith. Your mind, maybe the universe was made for your mind. To rack your brain against the size of the, the cosmos is just, it's, it's unbelievable. And so I don't have to um, meditate on the universe too long to have two feelings. One of just euphoric ecstasy, like wow. And the next one like depression, like shoot, who am I? That God's even mindful of me in this cosmic mess of glory, so to speak. But it's almost as though the cosmos was put together to wow your brain. But God, for the heart, is utter simplicity. Can you hear what I'm saying, people? So God invites us, Almighty God in Christ. Now remember, Christ speaks for God. Christ is the prophet of God. He is the Word that became flesh. And here is Almighty, complex, awesome, fearful and magnificent God, and he's like, hey, in 50 words, you and I can get along just fine. That should give you hope for your prayer life, come on. You've been around Christians that pray up a storm, and you're standing there like, oh, Lord, I'm not even going to try to pray, because obviously God's not going to hear me. I can't pray like this. So be impressed for just a minute with the simplicity. We can dissect this prayer just a little bit. There's a, an aspect of this prayer that's towards God. Our Father who's in the heavens, um, your name is holy, um, let your will be done, let your kingdom come. There's an aspect of this prayer that is God words. And notice it's also first. You first speak towards your Father and you engage God. There's a second aspect of this prayer that is me words. God, give me bread today. Lord, attend to the affairs of my life. Give me breakthrough. God, when, where, how, sure. Prayer involves issues regarding my life. And it's all summed up in that one sentence, give me today my daily bread. Take care of me today. You'll also notice that this prayer expands a little bit beyond just me. And it's as though I say, God, would you forgive my trespasses? as I even forgive those who trespass against me. And it's as though this prayer extends from me and it also includes others. It includes God, it includes me, it includes others. And then the prayer here begins to wrap up a little bit with, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's as though a part of this prayer extends towards the satanic the enemy of God, the frustrator of God's economy. Part of the prayer is towards God. A part of the prayer is towards me, towards others, towards God's enemy, my enemy. And then the prayer wraps up, God to you belongs all the glory, all the power forever and ever. And it's as though it bookends again with the praise and the glory of God. So, 
There are countless of books. I have tons and tons of books in my library regarding this, this prayer. And people dissect it in a in hundred different ways. There was a man in China called Paul Yonki Cho. And this is the only thing that he taught his congregation apparently. is just pray the Lord's Prayer. Biggest, biggest, most impactful congregation uh, at that time. And, and their secret weapon was the Lord's Prayer. So there, there's something to it. I certainly have not mined the very depth of it all. But I want to give you one suggestion today if you can pay attention. If you can uh, imagine with me the realm of God and the realm of man, then in this prayer you see something where it's as though in the realm of God something has to gain, increase. And in this prayer you see that in the realm of man, And in the realm where God's enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to derail and to subvert all the the, the, the ways and affairs of God and to twist and pervert and to steal and to kill. It's almost as though in this realm, something has to be lost. Look at it again. Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father who's in the heavens. So we're addressing God in the realm of the Spirit. And we're approaching God. We say, God, your name needs to be sanctified. Your name is holy. That is, your name is other. It's as though something of the name of God needs to increase. And something of the name of man, the name of Satan, the name of self, needs to decrease. It's as though by focusing on God, it's in a way we're not focusing on self. You can also notice here, your name is is holy, your name is sanctified. It says, your kingdom come. This, This is the kingdom of God up here. This is the realm of God. It's as though we're saying, God, let there be an increase in your kingdom. But in the way that we're praying, it's almost as though we're also saying, God, let there be a decrease in my kingdom. Otherwise, why would I pray for the Lord's kingdom to come if I'm not ready for my kingdom to go? So there's a little bit. You're going to have to read between the lines to follow with me here. It's as though by approaching God, you're positioning yourself for His kingdom to gain something and for my kingdom and the satanic kingdom and my culture's kingdom. It's as though I'm also asking for my kingdom to dissipate, to lose, maybe unravel, so to speak. So yeah, God, I want your kingdom to come. Now notice the next phrase. Lord, I want your will to be done. It's as though I'm saying, God, let there be an increase in what matters to you. Your interests, your burden, your way, your calling, your destiny, your economy. Lord, whatever is on your heart, I want that to increase because of my time in the secret place. 
So the secret place is not about me increasing. The secret place is not about just my affairs. Of course, God wants to give you the daily bread. But notice at the onset, it's as though you don't come to the secret place to find yourself, to exonerate yourself, to come and have it all together. It's as though the secret place is the place of losing in lieu of God's gaining. And if you walk away from the secret place and God has not gained in your life, then you have not prayed well or positioned yourself well or partnered well with God to, in a way, decrease things in your life for the increase of His things in your life. Lord, I want your will. Really? That's why you and I perhaps don't pray. Perhaps we're afraid of the cocoon. Because we know that when we come out of the cocoon, we can no longer have it our way. I know that when I come out of the cocoon, I cannot be a caterpillar anymore. I've got to fly with God. I've got to walk this out and fly and soar. And, but I, I, I'm not brave enough to do that. So we're in the cocoon, not for an encounter with God of increase and decrease. We're in the cocoon out of timidity for that life over there. So why do you pray? Well, we pray so that something of God can be gained and something can be lost. So in a way, if you can just read between the lines... There is a transaction that takes place. A good prayer, a thorough, solid God prayer causes you to come out of that secret place with the increase of God somehow. At least initially in you, but then ultimately through you. So beloved, you and I need to be people of prayer, that is intimacy with God, people of fellowship with God, people of interaction with God. And we need to be in that secret place like a, like a caterpillar, working with God, being before God, even resting in God until something of His kingdom gains over something in my kingdom. You cannot come out of that prayer closet the same. Things can't stay equal out of the prayer closet. Can you all follow what I'm saying? It's as though the Pharisee stood on the street corner and everything just stayed the same after his prayer. But the Lord says, no, my kingdom people, when we come into this closet, and he says, the way that you pray, even in 50 words, things are going to shift. Things are going to change. In the kingdom people's prayers, things change. Come on, people. So, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And then look at this marvelous phrase. Let it be done on this earth as it is then in God, as it is in the realm of the Spirit, as it is in the realm of the heavenly kingdom. That is, in prayer, I am making way for God to change my life. And my life is to be affected by the cause of heaven. 
So if your life is still remaining worldly, selfish, narrow, fearful, then you have not had a proper interaction with God. So how do you know heaven has come down to your little earth? Well, show me the fruit. If you and I's life, listen, don't exemplify the fruit of the kingdom to some extent or another, to some intensity or another, then you've not properly prayed. You've probably been a showman in your prayer. You've probably been praying like the Pharisee with himself. Your prayer's not been towards the heaven. You're not minding the things of God and looking for that ladder, that gateway to bring the things of God into your world. And then again, listen, if the things of God don't come into our world, that's why we're bored with prayer. That's why we don't pray. But you'll see, when you go into your bedroom, or you go on that walk, or you sit before God and you contemplate the stars, and you're just even in the secret place, quiet and reverent, and you're just letting the Spirit of God hover over you, things will begin to happen in your life. Things will begin to change, and you'll begin to see the fruit of that interaction. Just give it time, and it will draw you to more cocoon time. And you'll see another part of you comes out as a butterfly, and it will just draw you back again. And you'll see that the more you're in prayer, and there's a proper transaction between you and God, prayer will become very attractive, and you'll become one of those that do not dare to even like walk outside of the closet before being in the closet. You become so dependent on these 50 words before God. But then again, it's not just 50 words. It's a spirit of interaction between me and God. So he says... As it is in the heavens, I want it to be done on this earth, Lord. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as also we forgive those who are indebted to us. You'll see from this particular encounter there is the release of the provision of God. Through this particular encounter in prayer, this cocoon prayer, if you will, there is also in heaven you're forgiven, and there's the forgiveness extended to you. And you come out of the prayer closet washed, and you know that you know that you know that you know you're forgiven. And also from heaven you are immersed with compassion and and a spirit of grace comes upon you and you just freely even forgive and you come out of the closet with no bitterness or bone to pick with another person. You become just so graceful in your interaction. Why? Because you were in the prayer closet and that grace from heaven has gained in you the ability to forgive others. So I want you to notice here Don't bring us into temptation. 
it says, but deliver us from the evil one. So this is the realm of the evil one down here, so to speak. The one who torments and harasses and vexes us all day long. And it's as though we deal with Satan also even in the private prayer closet. And we're saying here, deliver us. And what we're basically saying in this prayer is, God, let you win this battle. You gain in this battle and let Satan lose in this battle. So if we come out of the cocoon and remain bitter and vindictive and judgmental, then Satan is still having a heyday. That means God did not gain, Satan did not lose, the world did not lose. Then I would say to you, we've probably not had a thorough interaction with God. And then it concludes here by basically just saying, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. Again, authority to you, power to you, might to you, honor, praise, all to Like God is gaining something through this interaction. There's many ways to dissect this prayer. I don't want to uh, re-speak what countless of books have narrated for us. I just want to pull out this one particular thread. This is my own thread. Maybe the Lord will be merciful for me to put this into words one day. The spiritual man, when he comes into that cocoon with his God, and he closes the curtain, and he says to the world, you're staying outside right now. The cares of the world, out there. Tomorrow, you stay out there. This is holy. This is holy ground. That spiritual man, he will so readjust his prayer that there will actually be a kind of a transaction. And the transaction is simply this. God, you gain through this particular situation. Satan, you lose. And even I myself lose. You increase, I decrease. And in a way, that is the prayer of Jesus. We don't just pray with lots of words. We don't pray with just lots of concepts and fears. We pray for actual change. And the Lord said, if we even just had mustard seed kind of faith, mountains will be cast into the ocean. In other words, there will be a change if we don't lose heart if we don't lose heart. I uh, want to conclude with a quick story as to the campus of Legacy. In 2010, I was burdened of God to begin a prayer stint for uh, a campus. Now, our ministry don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of people who come. We have no members. um, Money has been tough for us to come by. But I was burdened of God that we were going to have land. In 2010, I prayed. I would tell the students, hey, one day God's going to give us land. Pray with me. And I remember for 2010, 11, 12, and 13, for about a three and a half, four-year stint, uh, my times in the shower became 
my intercessory times before God. Water was cheap in uh, uh, Utah, Alabama, very cheap. So you could, you could shower all week and pay $2. So I took advantage of that. Other people exercise and they run and they weight lift and I don't need those particular things in my life. But I remember I made my shower my cocoon. We had just given birth to Francis. Wendy had given birth to Francis. <laughs> it was hectic. And so the shower became my cocoon. And I want to tell you, you've got to find a cocoon in your life, maybe your car. Uh, one of my board members uh, actually renovated his closet. And his closet actually has a pad in it where he lays before God and all his books and everything. Because he has a house full of kids too. And when he calls me and he says, I'm praying for you, I know now where he's praying from. He's found his cocoon. The shower was mine. And I just remember for three, four years, I would be in that shower and I would be anxious. But I'd learned these lessons and God took me to school again So every time I shower, I would just be before God and I would keep quiet. Long ago, I would sit outside before the night stars. Now I would be in the shower and I'd just be there and I would be anxious. Oh God, but how? Oh God, what do you want me to do? And I get all these ideas, call this one, finagle it this way, manipulate it that way. And just everything was just a restraint. Don't, don't wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. But the Lord uh, taught me again this lesson. When I'm in the shower, pray for the increase and pray for decrease. And I just had this vision in mind, a plus for the kingdom and a negative for me, a negative for life as I scripted. And that's all I brought before God. God, my interaction with you now, I want you to be very clear about this, Father is that I am seeking something of you to increase in this time. And I had that disposition and that attitude. And lo and behold, in due time, God brought forth this property with no manipulation of myself, no strength, no finagling, nothing. Pure miracle. And it's all born for me personally out of the secret place. So pray up a storm, ladies and gentlemen. And I will tell you, the more you're in the secret place, the easier it will be to pray in the public place. If you're quiet in the public prayer, probably it's because you're not comfortable in the secret place. But it's just a muscle you have to exercise before God. You have to go there. And sometimes you may just have to put your phone down and the music and just be absolutely quiet. But have this calibration, Lord, I am for you. And use my life to show forth something of your increase. Amen.